Hi and welcome to our second episode of Microtalks. In today's episode, we'll talk about the history of microbiology, the discovery of microscope and the controversy over spontaneous generation. As we discussed in our previous episode, microbiology is the study of organisms which are too small to be perceived clearly by the unaided human eye. So it is natural the existence of this microbial world was unknown to us until the invention of microscopes. The invention of microscope introduced us to the new world of microorganisms and a field in biology that is microbiology. Microscopes were invented at the beginning of the 17th century and were of two kinds. The first one was a simple microscope which consisted of a single lens system of short focal length. This type of microscope resembled the ordinary magnifying glass. The second type was the compound microscope which consisted of double lens system and had a greater power of magnification. Eventually, the compound microscope replaced the simple microscope and all the microscopes which we use today are of the compound type. However, here's the thing. Nearly all the great original microscopic discoveries were made using these simple microscopes. So, all you need is the curiosity and passion to learn. And it is rightly said that things that people learn out of curiosity can have revolutionary effects on human affairs. And one such scientist with unusual degree of curiosity, the discoverer of microbial world is Antony van Leeuwenhoek. He constructed the first microscope. He differed from his contemporaries in one respect. He had little formal education and never attended university. Nevertheless, his work became widely known during his life and its importance was immediately recognized. Leeuwenhoek's microscope bore little resemblance to the instruments which we are familiar with today. While working with Leeuwenhoek's microscope, the observer had to hold the instrument very close through the, to the eye and squint through the lens. No change in the magnification was possible and the magnifying power of each microscope was the intrinsic property of the lens which was used in its construction. Leeuwenhoek constructed about 250 different microscopes and the highest magnification of his microscope was about 300x. He studied almost every object that he could look through a microscope. He analyzed various samples like raindrop, water, wastewater, food and wine sample. He made magnificent observations on the microscopic structure of seeds and embryos of plants and small invertebrate animals. Leeuwenhoek's greatest discovery was on the microbial world, the world of animacules or little animals as he and his contemporaries would call it. A new dimension was added in biology and all the main kind of unicellular organisms that we know today, protozoa, algae, yeast and bacteria were first described by Leeuwenhoek. They were described with such great accuracy that it is possible to identify the individual species from his accounts of observations. Leeuwenhoek submitted his observations to the Royal Society of London. The Royal Society was established in London for communication and publication of scientific work. 
the drawings submitted by leeuwenhock are still maintained at the royal society of london and are called as micrographia of antony van leeuwenhock in his observations he had recorded bacteria of various morphology which we now know as rods cocci and spiral shaped bacteria leeuwenhock studied the microorganisms for more than 50 years and he is called as the father of microbiology scientific community marveled at the scientific discoveries made by leeuwenhock but the microscopic exploration of the microbial world which leeuwenhock had so brilliantly begun was not extended for over a century after his death the reason for this long term delay are the technical ones the simple microscopes of higher magnification are difficult and tiring to use consequently leeuwenhock's successors used compound microscopes the compound microscopes were superior to the simpler ones but the ones available in the 17th and 18th century suffered from severe defects which made working difficult leeuwenhock's english contemporary robert hooke even could not repeat the finer observations which were reported by leeuwenhock the major improvements that led to the quality of compound microscopes that we use today began in 1820 and extended through the half century after leeuwenhock revealed the incredible abundance of microorganisms present in nature scientists began to wonder about their origin from the very beginning there were two schools of thought or two groups of opinion some believed that animalcules were formed spontaneously from non living material whereas others believed that they were formed from the germs of these animalcules which are always present in air to put it in simple terms the belief that living organisms originate spontaneously from non living matter is known as doctrine of spontaneous generation or eugenesis the theory of abiogenesis has had a long existence and was accepted without question until renaissance as more and more knowledge accumulated on living organisms it became evident that spontaneous generation is simply not possible for technical reasons it was more difficult to show that microorganisms are not generated spontaneously and the supporters of spontaneous generation came to center their claims on more and more mysterious appearances of microbes in infusion broth those who did not believe in spontaneous generation were always in a difficult position to disprove it many researchers and scientists carried out experiment to disprove the theory of spontaneous generation a decisive step in the abandonment of doctrine as applied to animals took place as a result of experiments conducted by italian physician francisco redi in 1665 he showed that maggots that develop in the putrefying meat are the larval stages of flies and will never appear if the meat is protected by keeping it in a vessel closed with a fine gauze so that flies are unable to deposit their eggs on it because the meat was kept open to air flies laid their eggs on the meat which later germinated and developed into maggots by such experiments redi destroyed the myth that maggots develop spontaneously from meat but it was not until the middle of the 19th century that cumulative negative evidence became sufficiently abundant to lead to the general abandonment of abiogenesis 
one of the first to provide strong evidence that microorganisms do not arise spontaneously in organic infusions was the Italian naturalist Lazarus Spallanzini, who also conducted a long series of experiments on this problem. He could show that repeatedly heating can prevent the appearance of animacules in infusions, although the duration of heating was variable. Spallanzini concluded that animacules are carried into the infusion by air and that this explanation for, for the supposed spontaneous generation in well-heated infusions. The earlier workers had closed their flask with corks, but Spallanzini was not satisfied that any mechanical plug could completely exclude the air and thus he resorted to hermetic sealing. He observed that sealed infusions remained barren for a long time until a tiny crack in the glass was followed by the development of animacules. He concluded that in order to render the infusion permanently sterile, it must be sealed hermetically and boiled. Animacules could never appear unless new air somehow entered the flask and came in contact with the infusion. The greatest pioneer in these studies was Louis Pasteur. Pasteur first demonstrated that air contains microscopically observable organized bodies. He aspirated large quantities of air through a tube that contained a plug of cotton which would serve as a filter. The cotton was then removed and he dissolved it in a mixture of alcohol and ether and the sediment was examined microscopically. After microscopic observation, in addition to the inorganic matter, it contained considerable number of small, round or oval bodies which were similar to microorganisms. Pasteur next confirmed the fact that heated air can be supplied to the boiled infusion without giving rise to the microbial development. When he established this point, he went on to show that in a closed system, the addition of a piece of cotton to a sterile infusion will provoke the growth of microorganisms. These experiments showed Pasteur how germs can enter infusions and led him to what was his perhaps the most elegant experiment on this subject. This was the demonstration that infusions will remain sterile indefinitely in open flask provided that the neck of the flask is drawn out and bent in such a way that germs from air cannot enter it. This is known as Pasteur's swan neck flask experiment. If the neck of the flask was broken, and the then the infusion became populated with microbes. The same thing happened if the sterile liquid in the flask was poured into the portion exposed of the bent neck and then poured back. It was observed that the microorganisms would grow in the infusion broth. Pasteur rounded out his study by demonstrating and determining in semi-quantitative fashion the distribution of microorganisms in the air and by showing that these living organisms are by no means evenly distributed in the atmosphere. The last proponents of the spontaneous generation, however, maintained a stubborn guard of action for some years. The English physicist John Tyndall undertook a series of experiments designed to refute the claims of the supporters of the spontaneous generation. 
During the course of his experiment, he also established an important fact. In the long series of experiment with infusions prepared from meat and fresh vegetables, Tyndall obtained satisfactory sterilization by placing the tubes of these infusions for five minutes in a bath of, in a bath of boil, boiling brine. Brine is the solution of salts. However, when he tried to repeat the similar experiment with infusions prepared from dried hay this time, he found that the sterilization procedure was inadequate. First, when he tried to repeat his earlier experiment with meat and fresh vegetable infusions, he found that he could no longer sterilize them by immersing in boiling brine and even for periods of as long as one hour. After many experiments, Tyndall finally realized what had happened. The dried hay contained spores of bacteria that were many more times resistant to heat than any other microbes which he had previously dealt. And as a result of presence of hay in his labor laboratory, the air had become infected with the spores of these bacteria. When he understood this point, he proceeded to test the actual limits of resistance of the spores of hay bacteria and found that even after boiling the infusions for five and a half hour, one cannot render them sterile with certainty. From his experiments, he thus concluded that bacteria has two phases. One is thermolabile, that is, it can be destroyed by boiling for five minutes, and the other one is the thermoresistant, which is almost incredibly ex uh, resistant. These conclusions were immediately confirmed by a German botanist, F. Kohn, who demonstrated that the hay bacteria can produce microscopically distinguishable bodies which are now known as endospores. These endospores are highly resistant to heat. This now led to a development of a method of sterilization which is now called as tindalization that is discontinuous heating which can be used to kill all bacteria in the infusions. Tyndall found that discontinuous boiling for one minute on successive five occasions would make the infusion broth sterile whereas a single continuous boiling for one hour would not. It has been stated that the work of Pasteur and Tyndall disproved the possibility of spontaneous generation and their experimental findings have been used to support the contention that spontaneous generation had never occurred. The conclusion that we can safely draw is much more limited one. At the present time, microorganisms do not arise spontaneously in properly sterilized infusions. But it is probable that the primary origin of life on earth did not involve a kind of spontaneous generation, although a far more gradual and subtle one than the one which was proposed by the supporters of the spontaneous generation. So guys, that's all for today. Hope you enjoyed. Please leave your comments. If you need a detailed explanation of the experiments carried out to disprove the theory of spontaneous generation, you can find them on my website. Also, notes for microbiology are available for free on my website. The link is in the show notes. Till then, stay tuned. Here's a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, do you want to learn or improve your English? Here is an app for you. 
Otter app helps you learn English while chatting and improve your listening, understanding and speaking. Otter has 200 plus basic, intermediate and advanced English conversation topics and 100 plus grammar tests and exercises. It also has complete grammar curriculum for better sentence construction, translation in common Indian languages and a clickable dictionary plus it is very simple to use. You can start conversing with chatbots and live tutors for just 10 to 15 minutes a day. With Utter app you will be able to improve your English conversation skills. Utter will help you in speaking in casual and professional scenarios. So, download Utter app now and use code utter25 to avail 25% discount on premium membership.